last uh well friday and saturday mary and i went down to amish country and and uh we went to a, th- a country theater I'll, at some point i may tell you a little bit about that but anyway what i was going to share was today i said you know we talked in sunday school about choices and a lot of things are choices well it was interesting yesterday we had lunch in a i don't know it was above a cheese store and we I don't know, we saw a sign that said cafe, and we walked in, walked up, we went and got our food, and we sat down, and I was listening to this music, and I thought, that sounds like worship music. And they were playing worship music through the store, and I thought, wow. So it's just a choice. The manager of that store made a choice. He made his choice that that's what he wanted to play in his, in his music. So a lot of times, you know, uh, in, our, in our society and the world around us, the things that go on are because people make different choices. And uh, if we're in places where we have opportunity to be responsible, we can make certain choices, you know. Or if we're in an opportunity to share with somebody what we would prefer, we can tell them what our choice would be. I think a lot of times Christians need to express themselves in a, in a right way and, and just express, you know, what we like. If you see something that you think is a positive thing, you need to express that to managers of stores and, and places that uh, do play music that's Christian or or at least, you know, play music that's uplifting. So, so I, just, I just share that as a, as a thought that, you know, we can probably have more influence than we think if we just uh, take that opportunity to step out. Um, as we think about uh, this time of the year, we prepare for Christmas and the fact that Jesus came to this earth and we celebrate the fact that he came. It reminds us to also remember that he's coming again. And uh, we need to prepare ourselves and be ready for that. And when I think about Jesus coming the first time, one of the questions I usually have is, how did some of those people miss it? How did they miss it? How, how, could, they, how could they live back then? They could see what they saw, and they missed who Jesus was. Then it reminds me to ask myself the question, since Jesus is coming again, is it possible that the obvious people would miss it the second time? What would seem to be the obvious? And is there something that I need to be aware of there that, you know, I'm sure the people that missed it the first time thought they were waiting for the right thing and they thought they were doing it right. We're going to look at some of that today. But they missed it. And so what can I do to make sure that I don't miss and I'm not ready for his second coming? Why weren't those first people ready? You know, he came as the Messiah. They were all looking for the Messiah. That's, that's what they, that was what they did. They were waiting for the Messiah. And when the Messiah came, they missed it. And so with all that in mind, I want to look in uh, Luke, the, Luke, the seventh chap- chapter, Luke, the seventh chapter, beginning at the 15th verse. It says, so he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. It's talking about Jesus. He, the story, you know, this, this dead man rose from the dead. And Jesus presented this dead man to his mother. Then fear came upon all, 
And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his, his people. And this report about Jesus went throughout all of Judea and all the surrounding region. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we have to look for another? You know, John the Baptist was, was the one who came before Jesus, and John was in prison, eventually was beheaded, and John hears about, he hears about this man being raised from the dead. And, you know, you got to think about, well, John, he, he knows that there's somebody coming and there's somebody that's going to be special. And so he says, hey, you two, go check it out. You know, somebody just got raised from the dead. This fellow must be pretty special. And so he sends two of his followers out to see if Jesus is the Messiah. Go check him out. And so then we see, starting in verse 20, it says, When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? So they went to Jesus, Are you the Messiah? Are you the, the one we're looking for, or should we go look for another? And that very hour he cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. So in the midst of that, they come to ask that question, are you the Messiah? And in the midst of that, Jesus, he heals many with afflictions, many who are sick, casts out evil spirits, and to the blind he gave sight. And then Jesus says, now, I believe that they, they, that happened so they could see what was going on. They could see. And then it says, that very hour, then Jesus answered and said to them, go tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the lepers see, the lepers see, the lame walk, the blind, the blind see, excuse me, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who has not been offended because of me. And when the messenger of John departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. And he said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those are who are generously apparelled and live in luxury are in the king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. So these men, they came to Jesus, they saw and Jesus, after they left, he says to the people, he says, what, did you, what were you looking for? What were you looking for? Why, why did you go out into the wilderness? He says, do you think you was going to go out there and find somebody that was wishy-washy, a weed shaking, reed shaking in the wind, somebody just kind of goes with whatever's happening, blows with wherever the wind's blowing? Did you think, did you think this man would be kind of wishy-washy, you know, didn't know what he believed for sure? Or he said, did you go out there thinking he was going to be a man of luxury? Do you think he was going out there to see a king? And he says, no, you didn't do that. He says, you were looking for a prophet. 
is you were looking for somebody who was going to tell you about the Word of God, about the coming. Somebody who was preparing the way. And he says John, John was more than a prophet because he was preparing the way for the Messiah. He wasn't just a prophet. He was preparing. He was a messenger preparing the way of the Lord. And then in verse 29, it says, when the people heard this, something happened. It says they were all baptized with the baptism of John. They were all baptized with the baptism of John. And what was John's baptism? John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Repentance. A baptism of repentance. They were looking for, they were looking for one. They were ready because... When Jesus came, these people had been baptized with John's baptism. And who were these people that were baptized? It says the people and even the tax collectors. Interesting, isn't it? Even the tax collectors. Why why did they put that in there? Why did they say the people and... You know, it, there were, it was even, even the tax collectors, the most hated, the cheaters, the people who took advantage of everybody, the people who everybody despised, even tax collectors came and were baptized with this baptism of John. But I believe verse 30 tells us a lot. It says, but the Pharisees, and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Those two verses tell us a lot. It says there was a group of people who came and they accepted John's baptism of repentance. And there was a group of people who came and rejected that baptism of repentance. Two groups of people. Two different Approaches, two different responses to what John was saying. How did he get two different responses? Why did some, and the Pharisees, they were the people looking for the Messiah. They were the, the religious people of the day. Maybe the obvious, the tax collectors weren't so obvious. The obvious people were looking for a Messiah. And the ones who should have seen the Messiah, it says, they would not be baptized by John because they would not accept that baptism of repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is not admitting your sin. You know, if your child does something they shouldn't and you confront them with it, A lot of times they'll say, yeah, I did it. I'm sorry. And you know, getting caught doesn't make you repentant. Getting caught makes you sorry. Makes you sorry. Sorry I did it. Sorry I got caught. Could be sorry about a lot of things. Sorry the way it turned out. I'm sorry. But repentance is not admitting sin. Repentance is turning away from sin. Huge difference. Huge difference. And what we find is there was two groups of people that came to John 
One group was willing to submit to John's baptism of repentance, turning away, and the other group said what? No, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm religious. They were religious people. I'm religious. They, you know, in different places, they said, you know what? They gave offerings. They, they went to church. They kept the law. They were just nice people, good people, good people. They're the people you go to a funeral and you say, wow, they were good people. You know, and I, I'm not against you saying that. You know, there's good people, but, you know, good people doesn't mean anything. I just, I just want you to know that. Good people doesn't mean anything. It's not, I mean, it's good, you're good. But that's just all it means, good. These were good people. But they rejected John's message of turning away from their sin. They would not admit they had that need. Because they considered themselves good enough. They considered what they had done good enough. That they had done whatever it is that's needed. There was no reason for them to repent. Now, I'm sure they could understand a, a tax collector need to repent. You know, oh, yeah, and I understand why that guy ought to repent, because he's just a rotten scoundrel. You know? Do we ever do things like that in our own eyes? Do we ever kind of look at people and say, well, there's a good person? Or do we look at a person and say, wow, they need to go to church? You know, that's kind of how we say, well, you know, they, they need, you know, and, you know, going to church is not the issue, folks. I just want you to know that. Going to church is not the issue. Repentance is the issue. Repentance is the issue. Repentance deals with the heart. Repentance is what deals with our heart. And so if we come to the Lord and we say, well, you know, I'm pretty good. I think I've, you know, I haven't done anything really bad. You know, I think I'm okay. There's no repentance in that. There's no repentance. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. When it comes to being good, and I, you know, but when it comes to being good, there's none of us good. Think about that. There's none good. In our eyes, some seem better than others, but there's no one good. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all in the same condition, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. We're all the same. We've, we've sinned. We need to repent. We need to turn from. We need to turn around. We, it's not sorry. It's not sorry. It's more than sorry. It's, I admit, and I turn away from that. I turn away from that. Look at Matthew, the uh, 23rd chapter. Interestingly enough, Jesus had a lot of stern words for these Pharisees, um, this group of people, the churchgoers. Interesting to think about that. Jesus had the sternest words for the churchgoers. Just, you know, think about it. But in Matthew 23, verse uh, 15, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. 
Now, how would you like that? How would you like Jesus to show up in your church, our church, and say, oh, you Pharisees, you... He says, you know what? You guys are sitting around making converts, and all you're doing is make them a son of hell just like you. Wow, nice guy. You know, and for those out there, and I'm well, out there somewhere, but people that say Jesus is always love, you know, he is love. But you know what? He told the truth. He told the truth. What did he say? He says, you know what? You guys travel all over the place making converts. He says, all you're doing is making them sons of hell just like you. Wow. And they thought they were doing good. But what was the problem? They rejected the Messiah. They rejected the one who was coming to die for them. They would not repent and turn from their ways. You know, a lot of times in the church, when we think about converts, and you know, I'm, I'm probably as guilty as anybody, so I'm not pointing fingers, but I think we have to be very, very careful. Making a convert is not asking Jesus into your heart only. Because if there's no repentance, if there's no repentance, then there's nothing that's changed. There has to be repentance. And sometimes in the church, in our desire to get people what we call saved, we've made it so easy because we want lots of people to get saved and nothing wrong with that. But wouldn't it be terrible if we got a lot of people saved and they didn't go to heaven? That troubles me at times. Because these, these good people, these Pharisees, they were converting people to what they thought was their belief and their conversion to follow them. And Jesus says, you guys are missing it. He says, because there's no repentance. Remember back when John came with that baptism for repentance, you rejected him because you wouldn't repent. You wouldn't turn from your ways. You have to be willing to turn from your ways. You can't accept Jesus and then keep living like the world. You can't get saved and keep living like the world. There needs to be a repentance, a turning away from, and a following of something else. We have to turn away from our sin and follow Jesus. That has to be our heart's desire. That irregardless of anything else, because sorry is not enough. Turn to first, Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, the seventh chapter, the eighth verse. <clears throat> Paul's talking to the church in Corinth, and he, he you know, sends them these letters, and he says, for even if I made you sorry with my letter... He's saying, you know, I, I wrote you some things and I told you. He says, even if I made you sorry, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, but only for a while. And he's saying, you know, I sent you a correction. And it made you sorry, but only sorry for a little bit. He says, now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. 
For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. It says godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. I don't think you can bypass repentance to get to salvation. Now, sometimes the hard part is we think that sells kind of hard. Well, who wants to do that? You know, we got to not think like that. It doesn't matter. The truth is, it takes godly sorrow that leads us to repentance that takes us to salvation. There has to be a turning away. There has to be a giving up, a turning away from the sins of the world. There has to be a desire to be obedient to what Jesus said, obedience to his word, obedience to follow him, obedience to do what he wants. I'm not saying we never mess up. I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm saying there's a desire there. There's an attitude of wanting to repent and turn away from sin, not trying to justify it. How many times do we try to justify it? Well, it's not so bad. Well, I'm not. Or we compare. Well, I'm not as bad as that. I'm not. It's not as bad as doing this. You should be glad. You're, I don't know if kids. You, you should be glad I didn't do this. Well, does that make what you did okay? Does that make it okay? Are we trying to justify it? But we need to have an attitude. We have a need to have an attitude that sorry isn't enough. But it's that godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. That's what makes us acceptable to God. A heart. It's our heart. In Matthew 6.24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. You're either going to, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You know, it's not gray areas. It's, it's absolutes. It says, if you can't follow God 100%, then you're going to be in the world. We have, to, we have to, those are choices. Choices that we need to make. We need to be aware because, because, Jesus is coming again. He came once to this earth, and he is coming again. Now, whether he comes again before you die, or you die first, he's coming again. Either way. Either way. And the only way we can be ready is to be repentant. Repentant from our sin and following him. Turn away from the ways of the world. You can't be in the world and follow Jesus at the same. You can be in them, but you can't be of the world and follow Jesus. You know, we're in the world. It's all around us. Makes it hard. Makes it hard because some things become so acceptable. We think it's okay because everybody's doing it. You know, our kids, we, we get after our kids and we tell them for having that thought. But you know what? Adults, you know, there's a lot of things that we probably do that are, well, 
I don't know. That's the way it's always, that's the way we always do it, or that's the way it's always been, or I just, I don't know. Everybody else was doing it. But we need to be willing, willing to repent, to turn away from, so that we're ready when Jesus comes back, because it looks to me like that's the thing that keeps us from being ready. It looks to me like that's what keeps us from being ready. That if we don't repent, a heart of repentance, Lord, you know, I did that. Forgive my sins. And you can say, Lord, help me not to do that again because there's some things we need as help. It's choices, but some things we need as help. And I believe he will help us. I believe he will help us. But our desire needs to be to repent and to allow him to forgive us. And that's what leads to salvation. And then we're ready. Then we're ready. We're ready. There's nothing, nothing separates us. Nothing separates us from him. We're ready to receive him whenever he comes or whenever he comes to get us. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. You know, um, as a pastor over the years, that was one of the things I always, I always, you know, I, I mean, I guess there's sort of a fear there. But there's some kind of fear that people would come to church and after a period of time think they were okay just because they were there. And if there was never repentance, that they weren't really a follower of Christ. That was always, that was always something that bothered me. Always something that bothered me, you know. Now, let me say this. Bothers me to the point that as long as I tell you the truth, then it's up to you. Then it don't bother me no more. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. If I think about it enough, it'd probably bother me. But, but, you know, we need to be willing to be ready. To be ready because he's coming again. Let's all stand. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would search our hearts. Lord, that's, that's part of what you do. You send your Spirit to convict us of our sin, to speak to our hearts, to show your light on sin. So, Lord, speak to us. Help us to hear. Lord, help us to recognize our condition. And Lord, when we see things that are sin, help us to repent. Help us to turn away from, to turn away from those things, Lord, to follow you, to obey you. Lord, we thank you for your love. You love us so much. Lord, help us to recognize that love. Help us to recognize the love that, that comes and reaches out to us in our condition. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, that, that they, they feel that need to Repent, Lord. I pray that you just help them. Lord, give them the courage to turn away from. To turn away from those things that are not from you and to follow you and to obey you. Lord, we thank you that it's not perfect. We're not perfect beings. But Lord, it's our desire to obey. It's our desire to be obedient to you. So Lord, help us. Thank you that your Holy Spirit also enables us and helps us. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that has a need to, 
Uh, if they want to come up and, and share with somebody, Lord, that you would encourage them to come up and, and let our prayer group pray for them this morning up front, um, Tom and Pam and Rose and Jim. Lord, I just pray that you just minister to our hearts, and Lord, help us to be ready, ready for you when you come. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Lord, dismiss us now with your blessing. And all as God's people said, amen.